Hello and welcome to our brand new property show, Property Matters, the show where we talk about what's really going on in the property market and tackle some of the biggest challenges facing the industry. Now you can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or by email. Your hosts today are myself, Brian Fox, and well-known property author, Carol Tallam. Thank you, Brian. Um, okay, we have a busy lineup ahead with some great industry guests. But first, let's look at some of the big property stories over the past week. So, Brian, did you see that Dublin's Suffolk Street is set to be pedestrianised for six weeks? At long last. At, at long, long last. last. So at you're long... in favour of this? Well, I mean, it just looks so empty with the, uh, you know, after they closed it off for the for the, for the the Lewis Works and so forth. It just looked as if an nondescript street, you know? Yeah. You well, your, well, your take on it is different to mine, isn't it? Look, I, um, I, come from, I come from the point of view as a driver, mm-hmm. somebody who struggles to find parking, and I probably am quite a lazy user of the city. Right. However, I am definitely, I saw with the pedestrianising, um, the attempt to pedestrianise Dame Street. Yeah. That should have gone ahead. So even though I'm a car user, I like my convenience in the city, I know that pedestrian areas are important for the health of the city and even for outdoor living. I used to live in Spain and I miss all those outdoor cafes. You know, even if so you, you have to... So you welcome this then? I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to. Trying? Yeah, yeah. But you're not completely convinced about it? I'm not convinced. And the reason I'm not convinced is because I'm not happy with the traffic flow and I'm not happy with the alternative uh, parking arrangements. And actually, again, as a parker, did you see that parking well, charges are set to rise in I, Dublin? I'm going to put a plug in for myself here because I also do a programme here, a political programme on, on Fridays here. And uh, we discussed this on Friday. And I'm afraid there's a Dublin City Council in. It's not going to change, Carol. They are literally going to try and make every effort to make it more difficult for motorists to come into Dublin. Yeah. So I know that's not a good news for you. No, do you know what? It, look, I understand that this is the way it needs to go. We want our city to thrive. We want the, the businesses to thrive. So look, I, I accept that I'm in the minority and I'm part of the problem and it's my behaviour. I'm part of the behaviour. Well, the silent, the silent minority, or maybe it's the silent majority. <laughs> well, it doesn't matter. I have to get ready to embrace change. Um, but look, it's been, it's been a week of change because actually you might have seen with some of the headlines that our former health minister is selling his large country home and mm. like all people in their own position, he is now proposing that we, bring, we introduce tax incentives to encourage the over 55s to downsize. What do you take on that? Well, it's not a good. It's not a good. Is that not a good idea? Because, yeah, I, I think mean, it's a great idea. I mean, generally speaking, over fifty fives, if not older, have sort of empty nests at that point. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And, and but it's time to. You know, you might recall last week we had Liz O'Kane from yeah. Hunter Estate Agents on, and this was one of the problems that she identified that. There are definitely people in large homes all around the country, this isn't a Dublin problem, um, that would be happy to downsize. But here's the situation, they're not going to leave their community. So they're only going to downsize if there's suitable quality accommodation in their community. You make a good point there because you you don't hear very much of it here, but um, you may be able to respond to this. He favours an elderly cooperative model. Now, I lived in the States, as you know, and they they talk there regularly of Mm co-ops. Do we, is that sort of model here at all? That um, type of no, there is <coughs> there is one actually North Dublin um, Okulon for social housing. So I definitely think it's a model that needs to be uh, it needs to be explored more in Ireland. Mm-hmm. It's not something we've done in the past, but I, I think it's definitely something we can embrace. It's almost um, equivalent to the sheltered housing for the elderly, but if we do it with a private model, I think that there's I think that there's some capacity there for that in Ireland. Mm-hmm. And again, last week we had 
Ed Burke from Rumigo and he was talking about the trend towards co-living for young professionals. Yeah. So actually, isn't this just an extension of that? Yeah, I, I guess it is, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. so um, so look, there's there, that's just some of the stories that came our way this week and hopefully our guests will be able to make some sense of these and some of the other big issues or maybe in chatting to them we'll uncover a few more. Okay. Um, you're going to introduce a guest now, aren't you? Yeah, I'm delighted we have Healy Hines, who is the founder of online platform Beagle, which is changing how people are buying and selling property. Healy, you're very welcome. Uh, good evening. Thank you very much. So, delighted to have you with us, Healy. Thank you very much for, for inviting me on to the, the, the show this evening. It's a great honour. <laughs> well, I'm not sure about that. You've already complained. <laughs> You've already complained about having to get your bus, your train. So we know that we have you for a limited time. And actually, by the way, doesn't this just show how important actually that our, our public transport is? Because here's somebody who's trying to accommodate. He knows he has to leave Dundrum in order to get to Connolly Station. And actually, that that shouldn't be a problem in this day and age. Mm. So look, I understand it's trying to leave the cars behind. Healy, where did you travel in from today? I came up from Athlone, uh, so I got the there was six thirty train up to get up here uh, and that was absolutely jam-packed full of people and then loses really? through the rest of the city Yeah. So would you ever drive and park in the city if you can avoid it? If I can avoid it if I was taking the car it would normally be for meetings on the suburbs around the M50 loop but if I come next near the town centre at all I just I wouldn't drive it's simply not worth it you know? yeah. it's, it, it, to be honest it's, it's not very convenient um, I think sometimes the Lewis are a bit overcrowded at times and the trains are their schedules are, are, are a bit infrequent and but such is such is life. It works yeah. for you, I suppose. It works yeah. for it works it mostly works. works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, isn't it funny? These are just some of the changes that we're embracing and I think actually um, Healy, what you're here to talk about tonight, this rise in online bidding platforms and how buyers and sellers are actually changing, how yeah. they buy and sell property, particularly around the negotiations and bidding. It, it's all just very symptomatic of a changing generation, isn't it? it? It is. This is a big demographic shift. I think what's happening is we have a non-demand generation that's coming up and they're used to having technology in their hands. They're used to get instant gratification. They turn on Netflix and they get whatever TV series that they want. They pick up the app and they get the food delivered when they want it. So it, it, that they're naturally gravitating towards that level of, of, of satisfaction of their demands. And service users that they're dealing with who cannot provide the services that they need when they want it simply won't be around. Like we're seeing with retail particularly, like the, the kicking that retail got over the Christmas particularly, people are sitting there at home at, at 6pm and they're doing their Christmas shopping and have it dropped at their, their, their doorstep. So retail is, in, is reinventing itself as more of an experience rather than the process of buying a product. So they've had to reinvent themselves because of this generation. And now the same thing is happening for property professionals. Like they have to readjust to this new generation that's that's coming through. Um, interesting, the, the property is kind of interesting in Ireland particularly because it's straddling two demographics. You've got the vendors and you've got the purchasers. And, and so they're kind of trying to marry two at the same time as well. And a lot of the stakeholders have been around for quite a long time. They're used to doing business a long, a long time the same way. So there's a change and a fear of change, I think, in the industry. But is if that, the customer is, is demanding it. Is that coming from the estate agents, though? Because buyers, you know, typically first time buyers, they're new. So they don't, they're not saddled with the old baggage that no. the industry has. So, I mean, where has the resistance been over the past two to three years for this rise in all manner of prop tech? It, it, it's coming from, it's, the resistance really is coming, as I can see it, from the agents and fear that 
their them changing is going to be detrimental to them. Mm. Um, and what's those that have embraced it, who are who, are, who have taken taken the leap and have actually realised the benefits are are actually driving the market forward. Um, they're seeing, and we're seeing on on a tertiary basis much greater satisfaction and greater results than we would have ever expected as a consequence of, of them taking the platforms online. And then everybody else is kind of coming on board as a reaction to the market leaders taking taking the the advantage. Um, like we're seeing like 75, 80% of the bids that are coming through are coming through outside office hours. The vendors are getting instant notification about what's happening. So it's creating greater satisfaction amongst the, the vendors as well as the purchasers. So, but sorry, so just talk us through. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, it's actually, I haven't had to come across this before. <laughs> so, I mean, the buyer has to see the property, right? Yeah. So, they, did they see it physically or online? Absolutely. Well, that's <clears throat> normally speaking, what will happen is the, the the buyer, the agent will 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 the buyer will be introduced to the agent in in the normal fashion, and they they go and and they'd inspect the property. Okay. If right. they're happy with yeah, the property, yeah, yeah, then yeah. they would just register on on the Beagle Bid app to register their interest in that particular property. Right. So um, there's a level of due diligence that they have to go through to be approved to bid on the property. You know that they have oh, proof of phones oh, and IDs yes, and all that yeah, kind of yeah, stuff, but yeah. in the meantime, so there is a process. So oh, absolutely, yeah, and yeah, the agent yeah. controls that process. Right, so they right. they know who they're dealing with, they know who the customers right. are. But once somebody registers their interest in the property, the vendor gets immediate notification that a person has registered an interest in the property, and the bidder also gets notification of any new bids that come. And just from your own point of view, then, were yeah. you were at least a bit anxious or apprehensive about getting into this type of business when you were? Uh, I, I, I guess you were in the regular, the, the traditional type of business beforehand. Yes, yes. Were you died in the wool, you, second you, you generation estate agent. Someone anxious getting involved. Were I you? was delighted to get involved. <laughs> you were delighted. Were you? This is the solution to the problem. Like this developed out of me looking to solve the problems in my own estate agency. Luckily enough, I have a background in technology as well. As a background oh, okay. in property. Oh, okay. So I, I sat around and, and basically developed this solution to solve the problems that I was having myself uh, in, in running my own estate agency. And luckily enough, I, I've, I've, be, I've been able to step back now full-time from the estate agency and concentrate on this full-time. And that's, so we're now able to implement that technology yeah. all, all over Ireland at the moment and, and wider. And Healy, I think it's fair to say you're uniquely positioned here between the property and the technology side of it. There are very few estate agents that I'm aware of that are actually out developing products like this. Mm. Um, and in fact, it's one of the criticisms of the prop tech and the technology sector that they're not partnering with seasoned um, estate agents. So they're identifying problems as consumers and that's fair enough. You know, they're, they're, they're fully within their rights to do that and they're important that we have consumer-led innovation. Absolutely. But you're missing the depth then if you don't have that industry knowledge. And that's why when we come across prop tech startups, we try to marry them with this deep industry knowledge that Healy has coming, as you say, second generation. You yourself had been a state agent for 25 years. Yeah. So you, you did understand the problems that people are having. I'm fascinated though to hear the stats that you have. So you said that the majority of the bidding is happening outside of office hours. Seventy-five percent of it is outside office hours. Do you know what time? Uh, we actually, we I, I, the times. Funnily enough, like we had, there was a million euros of bids came in this morning between half six and half seven. Sorry, 
Repeat that again. There was a million euros of offers that came in between half six and half seven this morning when I was on the train. On oh, your platform. Yeah, when I was checking checking the, the stats as I was coming up on the train this morning, and I could see the, the bids coming through, and that's that's not unusual. They are amazing figures. How many properties would that be spread across? Oh, I it, it would probably. At a million, it would probably be four or five properties that was coming through at, at that time of the morning. But what's happening is that like you, you could be sitting having your morning coffee and next thing the phone bings and, and lets you know that another thousand euros have been put on the property. So there's bids and counter bids coming through between parties. So competing bidders are automatically notified that Abs- a competing bidders yes. come in. Yes. That's, that's a really important one because I know from a decade of working with house hunters that actually this uncertainty and this la- lack of verification around the bidding process and lack of transparency was always a problem. That buyers just didn't know what they could trust, what information they could trust and they just uh, and these bidders see system. other bidders coming in? Other bidders coming in? Yeah, but they see like bidder one, bidder two, okay. bidder three and they can see the times mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. they come in on. But they, they uh, and tell me just to, to do what? Yeah. Other estate agents embrace this idea themselves? Well, this is like, there are, we have 30 estate agents signed up to our platform at the moment. Mm -hmm. And so we're rolling out nationwide now. Oh, I see. uh, Yeah. So so you basically own the platform and and, and they... Beagle is a technology provider, and Beagle right. Bid is, is right. the online bidding right. platform. Right. And right. agents who want to register can go on, and they they can be they can set up their their profile. It's designed for people who are dipping in and out of technology. It, this isn't t- Twitter or Facebook where you're on it 24 mm. hours a day. So it's designed for people to use. And once the bidders come in, like they're gone once once the property that they've been interested in is no longer available. Um, but the bidders themselves and the agents can be up and running very, very quickly on it. Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's obviously very attractive yeah. for them. It, it is and it's fast for them. I think it's very attractive for buyers. I think it suits the, the demographic of buyers we have now. And in fact, I think that sometimes there's a misconception there that it's only the younger generation of buyers that are that are comfortable using this technology. And that's not the case at all, actually, um, because we did see this type of technology coming in for online auctions um, over the past number of years. And I know, Healy, you have an online auction platform yeah. as well that yeah. you offer. But I think it's very important to point out, say, for sellers, that mm-hmm. um, for private sellers, that actually this isn't just for auctions, that this is a way to sell private treaty homes. Sure. And all the studies that we've looked at in the past seem to show that that the transparency encourages bidders, so they bid more often. Uh, is, is that the case? Yeah, more yeah. often, more regularly, M- more and often, the more regularly. The 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 and the, the prices like it's it's still our, our data set. We're building quite a large data set out of this as well, and the analytics are really quite interesting. Uh, but it, it's it's potentially the buyers because of the transparency and trust in the process and the greater faith that the bidders are there that we're actually seeing higher prices coming through as a consequence of the technology. Now, obviously, we need to get wider data sets to verify that outside mm-hmm. the, the the city pockets where operational at the moment into you know more rural locations mm-hmm. but it's distinctly possible because of the trust and faith in the system as well that the buyers have greater confidence to bid more for the property because they know they can see that bidder four put a thousand euros yeah. down at 11pm when he came back from work. That's interesting. And yeah. actually, I, I came across this, I think, on LinkedIn. I saw a post from an estate agent, an independent estate agency in Middleton or somewhere down in East Cork. That's right. And they were saying that... Um, that by using this platform, they had shortened the sale and the bidding time by about six weeks. So that's that's transformative for sellers and for buyers in, in a time because actually I don't think everybody is aware, but actually the period from bidding 
until contracts are signed. That's the really vulnerable period. That's when sales tend to fall through. Mm. So for the estate agents and for the buyers and sellers, anything you can do to shorten that period actually right. strengthens up the sale. And I think that's a really important point. Yeah. point. And would you see this as something similar to, I mean, in principle, to Uber or something like that, uh, or that type of... Potentially, yeah. 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 Like it, it, it has to do with what that with that on demand generational yeah. shift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it, there is an element of, of of that in in it as well. Like it, it, it's it's a changing it's changing the way that people interact with yeah. the property. And should, should the traditional estate agent be nervous at this point? No, the traditional estate agent, this traditional estate agent is well placed to embrace this and are coming on board for it. Right. The industry is changing um, and we are going to see, the reality of the situation is we are going to see less people em- em- employed in the industry, I think, in the next three to five years. But what's going to happen is that the, the number of, of firm principals will probably be the same. The firms themselves will, will be more profitable but they're doing so with less overheads. There's one estate agent that we're, that it's coming on board quite shortly now and he's looking at expanding his practice and rather going out and taking admin staff and receptionists and all the rest of it he's simply got him taking a really good CRM and a really good bidding platform and, and right. off he goes well, They even say that lawyers now are going to go out of business because of AI AI, AI is a fascinating area um, we, we will, are investing quite heavily in AI over the next 24 months it's an area that we're quite interested in we're actually partnering with Microsoft on that um, Microsoft have, have an adopt a startup program and we're working with them at the moment in developing our AI We're going to have you on that again because AI yeah. is one of my favourite topics Absolutely It's amazing <laughs> stuff It's going to transform It's going to transform the entire property market yeah. Just before we let you go Healy Yeah can you just tell me then, because you're coming at this from a place that not only you have been a practicing estate agent, but now you're actually helping estate agents to achieve what we're going to establish as best practice. What is best practice for estate agents today? Best practice is, it, it, it covers an, an, a number of areas. Obviously, you've got the AML areas, you've got the property services regulator and service agreements. And as we are discussing earlier, there's a lot of regulatory input in that as well where, where, where we assist the, the estate agent is in, is in providing quality service to, to their agents in a more transparent and communicative fashion Okay Healy that's fascinating we, we could talk for forever on this and I know we're definitely going to have you back in to talk about it again thank you so much thank for being you. with us today thank Next you. up after the break we'll be joined by Robbie Dillon Head of Residential for Savills Ireland 93.9 Dublin South FM oh, Will you look at them go? I wish I had their energy. Ah, they're good for the soul though, aren't they? I can't imagine life without Lucky. (laughs) But he might outlive me yet. Oh, (laughs) well take my advice and sign up for a Dogs Trust Canine Care card. It's completely free and it's given me such peace of mind since I did. What's that? Well, it's simple really. It means if you pass away before Lucky, Dogs Trust will take him in and give him the care and love he needs until they match him with the perfect forever home. That sounds terrific. How much did you say it costs? It doesn't cost a cent. Great. How do I sign up? Just text CARE to 50100 and they'll call you with more information. Or you can go to dogstrust.ie. Well, that's wonderful advice. I'll do that right away. Here, Lucky. Good boy. Whatever loan you're looking for, wedding loans, holiday loans, car or home improvement loans, make sure you talk to your local Capital Credit Union, where there are no hidden charges or early repayment penalties on your loan. Loans subject to approval, terms and conditions apply, Capital Credit Union Limited, regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. 
Senior Line is a confidential telephone service for older people. Free phone 1800 80 45 91. We're open every day of the year from 10am to 10pm, including Christmas Day and New Year. So it's free phone 1800 80 45 91. We're there if you need someone to talk to and need someone to listen. We're older people too, so we will understand and we're very good at listening. Did you get the Senior Line number? It's free phone 1800 80 45 91. Your community radio for South Dublin. This is Dublin South FM. Property Matters here in Dublin South FM with Brian Fox and Carol Tannen. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Now, our next guest is Robbie Dillon, uh, Head of Residential at Savills. Robbie, you're very welcome to Property Matters. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us this evening. Um, at the top of the show there, we just mentioned a couple of stories that had been in the news. One of them is, actually, you might have read yourself that the Society of Chartered Surveyors in Ireland, they have said that overly optimistic expectations is the primary reason why properties are now failing to sell. And in fact, they went further to say that unrealistic prices are now a bigger problem to closing deals than any difficulties buyers have in obtaining mortgages or sellers have in finding other homes to live in. What do you make of that? It's certainly a certainly a grabbing headline. Anyway, uh, look, I, I think that there is always there, there always has been in, in any in any area. There's always going to be a problem with overpricing. Um, it's something that we have to face up to. Um, it's something that we, we we are seeing less and less. Of my background is uh, is London property, uh, where we saw a lot of it. But the more information that people can get, the, the, the more informed they are, the less we should be seeing it. Um, but it's an emotional decision, so it's very difficult if you've got two guys telling you you'll get seven hundred and fifty, and then the third guy says I'll get you eight fifty. It, it's too easy. That's tax-free earnings on your print on your on your on your home. Uh, you're, you're, it's very easy to jump in and say, "Well, we'll go with the other guy and see how it goes." Uh, it, it's a difficulty. Um, but I presume any seller in that position, if they jump at the, as you say, additional hundred thousand, if it doesn't exist, I presume that that agent that promises the extra 100,000, what happens there? It depends on what work they put in. Uh, and quite often you'll see, I think at the last quarter of last year, there were huge, huge amount of price reductions across the market, especially mm-hmm. at the top end uh, in Dublin and South Dublin especially. Uh, and I think that was, people are calling it an adjustment, but it shouldn't have been an adjustment. I mean, we, we, we rarely have to reduce our prices. We're very honest in our strategy. And I think it is a strategy. It's about knowing what your property is worth. And by seeing if your neighbour sells for seven, why would yours be worth eight a few weeks later? There's, there's inflation, and inflation is is normal, and we can we can factor that in. But realistically, if it's if it's you know if we're looking at kind of twelve or thirteen percent over a few months, it's unrealistic, uh, and people can see that. Yeah. Um, but once once people know what it's worth, and um, they need to have a strategy in place. And um, I suppose the other factor is people don't want their lives to be on hold, uh, and having your property on the market is is taxing, um, and it's it, it can be stressful. And the, the way the market works over here is quite different. To, to what what I was used to, which was which was London, uh, it's it's a hugely geared around open viewings and people spend a whole Saturday and I know because myself and my wife did it last year uh, as soon as we landed we'd, we'd get it we'd spend Friday afternoons or Friday nights looking at all the property pages and getting our Saturdays lined up and then we'd go and we'd see 10 or 15 properties on open view mm. and then the ones that we really liked we'd, we'd then go and look at more so it, it, and how does that compare to London then? In London it was the complete opposite so there was an oversupply of stock 
So people would people would sit at their price, uh, and then the, it was the agent's job was to get the viewings. Okay. So it was a lot harder. Anyone could win the instruction, um, but to actually get people through and do the viewing. So you were judged on the amount of people you got through the door in London, whereas over here you're judged on the offers that you can get. Of now, course. if somebody if somebody is overpriced, uh, and this may be a bit bold of me to say, but if somebody's overpriced and they put their property on for a launch and they see in the first week that only two or three people show up and they may be neighbours, unfortunately, the agent's probably gotten it wrong. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, yeah, now, that's yeah, a little bit yeah. general, but realistically... If, if people are looking, and if, unless your property is at a very, very high level, the very top of the market, if you're selling anything in Dublin, kind of two or three or four bed semi, or even a detached house, there's there's enough appetite for people to be looking at that every every Saturday, especially on that first open viewing. And if your numbers aren't high, you need to ask yourself. And I would revisit your own research and say, what did I initially think this was worth? Okay. And and, and more importantly, what did the agents I didn't choose? What did they say it was worth? Because. There, there, there may be a disconnect there. And, and what about the, sorry? What about the valuers then? I mean, with, uh, they, they obviously influence price as well, surely. Yeah. Well, that, well, that's what it is. It's, it's the agent that's giving the valuations. Yeah, yeah, but it, yeah. look, it's you know, it's human nature. If it, you know, we were buying a car recently. We were buying a car last week, as early as last week. Myself, my wife, and it was very difficult. Kind of, she was on one side. She was pushing. Hey, look, I really want this one. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. we can't afford that one. Yeah. Um, but it's very, you know, it, it, it was gorgeous. It was shiny, and, and and people will see the same about the price of their house. So. Back to the original question, I don't. I, that's a dramatic headline. I think there are other issues um, that would probably need to be sorted out or teethed out. Um, but I think there is there is a there is a, still a slight problem. Um, mm-hmm. But I suppose the only urge is that people do their own homework, see you, see what's sold. Do you find that both buyers and sellers in the marketplace today they're much better educated? Oh, completely. You know. We yeah. do have the resources, you know, up until a few years ago in Ireland, we didn't have the National Property Price Register. Um, so I, I do believe that both buyers and sellers, they're, they're much more educated now when they come to the market. And hopefully that translates into them being more realistic. Um, but I actually, I think what's very interesting, you mentioned that you're just, you're just recently relocated back from London. But you're heading back to London. We are indeed, and you're taking Irish properties with you. We are as many as we can. <laughs> We're, uh, uh, tell us, tell us about the London showcase. Oh, this is probably for Brexit, is it? Uh, it's not. No, it's uh, so. So as soon as I touched down second uh, of January last year, and, and I, I walked in the doors of Savills, the first thing I said was, "Look, we need to be taking our properties to London. There are ready, cash-rich, equipped Irish people looking to move home." And it's nothing to do with Brexit, funnily enough. It's a, it's a generational thing. So I moved over. I was working in Merrill Lynch. And then they kind of said to me, there's choppy waters ahead. What subsequently they meant was the bank was for sale, but they weren't telling me that. Uh, but they said, I kind of looked at London and looked at property and said, well, it's something I wanted to do. It's a different city. I'll give it a go. But a lot of people followed me over the next year when it actually the recession really came into force. So whilst I moved as a result of it, it was early days. Um, but a lot of people moved. And it's not just London. It's Singapore. It's Dubai. It's wherever they may have gone. And generationally, I went over as a a young, relatively wild single guy, and I've come back as a as a married man uh, looking to set looking to start a family. Uh, And we decided to move back to Dublin because it's it's smaller than London. It's the right place for us. Mm. Um, But we wanted to make that move before we had kids. Mm -hmm. And then there's another generation who would have been ten years older than me, who are now those they have their kids, but their kids are maybe six or seven. They're looking at secondary schools. Now they want to be back. So there's all these guys that are in London. They want to come back and educate their they want children. To, they want to come back and, and resettle. Mm-hmm. The nice thing is that they, they if, if they had bought property over there, those properties would have seen huge growth. 
especially through the recession. London was never London never went down in the recession. It, mm-hmm. it, it plateaued for about a year and then kept rising and kept going. So these guys have, have a lot of equity to take out. So they're done with London. They're selling up and they're ready to move home. So, But are they moving home? Because actually that's one of the things I was interested. I mean, first of all, I'm interested to learn what type of properties you're taking over. But I'm particularly interested to learn what kind of people you're bringing back to live in those properties. <laughs> so let's, let's start with the properties um, what type or what is the typical property that you'll be showcasing or is there a typical property? There's nothing typical. We, we'll try and bring a broad range of everything. What we really like to do is engage with the buyers that are over there, that are in a position and also educate people. So this is our third time. Uh, so we went over in March for Patrick's Weekend last year. We went again in October and now, so this is our second March. So uh, we, we have a growing list of buyers that we know from over there that are in positions, that they're in the position to buy or very close to it. Uh, even this afternoon, unrelated to the show, I was chatting to someone these are professional people are taking on Profe- the higher end. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 So they've either they're in the process of selling, they've already sold, and now they're ready to get back. So the properties we'll be bringing, um, we had some in terms of success stories. We had a few, a few solid inquiries, which now turned into sales, and some of our new home schemes. Um, and they would have been younger guys who who wanted to get on the ladder and had some cash. Um, but all the way up, we did with a huge amount of our country homes, farms, and estates. Um, people were people were sent. People were sent to Market Street last year. Mm. So look, go down to Savills and have a look and see what's there. And then suddenly, I'm thinking of a generalisation as a guy that sold in Clapham. Um, he sold his house for 2.2 million sterling cash. Well, we had a, I'm sure there's a mortgage to pay off somewhere. But now he's shopping around for kind of one and a half. And, and and is it, just on the topic of break, is there any sense of nervousness within your within within the, within your own operation of, of what's going to happen in the future? In Ireland, not at all. Not at all. Um, we are see, we're seeing more more supply or sorry more buyers um, coming across. Um, okay. But I, but I, so there's one thing that I think the rest of the UK and I'd be tied in very closely with them in terms of Savills as a bigger organisation. A lot of my meetings are with the regional offices outside in kind of Bath and even as far as Cardiff. Uh, they are seeing a shortage of London sales because of Brexit, because the market has stopped. So they're seeing a, a shortage of sales is is stopping the onwards the onward purchases in some of the nicer kind of the Cotswolds and some of those areas. But I think Dublin's a separate entity and mm-hmm. Ireland is a separate entity. The one thing that I find very interesting that we're only really starting to see as we get closer to the end of March, um, we're starting to see people that are no ties to Ireland. And that's they're not looking for Dublin, but they're looking for country houses. Oh, yeah. Okay, country and are these English people they're English with people, no ties yeah. to Ireland? Yeah. And are they looking initially at an investment or are they actually planning to move over and live? They're looking for a substantial holiday home that they could see themselves retiring in. Oh, I was going to ask. Retiring. Yeah. 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 Actually, yeah. that's one of the cultural differences mm. that I have noticed Um English people tend to move away to retire, whether yeah. it's to Ireland or to Spain in the sun, whereas Irish people, no matter what age they leave Ireland, no matter where in the world they go, they like to retire home to Ireland. Yeah. Well, there is so, a great atta- emotional attachment, isn't it, by Irish yeah, people completely. to this country? And I suppose that, that's, that my wife is English, but that's why I'm here. Uh, yeah. Because of that emotional won. attachment. I won. I won. <laughs> well, we'll see now. <laughs> so, uh, tell me, the, the showcase, when is that taking place? So, it's on the 14th of March and it's in Margaret Street and we've got Gordon just head office there just played Oxford Circus Okay and how many properties from Ireland do you expect to take over? Probably take over about 60 uh, 
about 60 individual properties which, which will be discussed. Oh, so 60 is a huge number. Yeah, so see, there's a lot. Our Cork office will take quite a lot of West Cork properties. Again, okay. they're, they're, it's a really popular area for the yeah. affluent English looking for that holiday home and possible retirement home. Yeah. Or uh, retirement house. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, and then our new build schemes, uh, our new home schemes, there's a, there's a broad range. Um, something like Lansdowne Place. Um, we, we had a lot of inquiries from that last year because that's a very much a London development. It's got a concierge. It's got, you know, the, the treatment rooms. It's got a chef's kitchen so you can bring in. But I'd be right in saying that's one of the more premium it's penthouses to hit yeah. the Dublin market. Yeah, it completely is. That's probably the best product that's been released. Um, but that in London or in New York or Chicago, that's not uncommon. Mm-hmm. That where you're not, you know, your apartment will have these services you can pop down to your concierge and say look can you get me two tickets for the match now I don't know if it would have worked last Saturday it was a bit busy but but that's <laughs> yeah. the idea it's that kind of living so when we were bringing that to London there were there were guys and you know very very senior guys that are thinking about moving to Dublin and they said look that's if there's only one of those that's what I'm after That's I live in that in Mayfair and now I want that in, in Dublin uh, uh, Is there any traffic going east-west? That's what I've seen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's how it's well, that's that's what it is. So, of the of the sixty properties you're bringing over, is there's a, a mix of very high end and family homes, and there, there's a mix of everything. It probably will be more attracted, at the, more pushed at the higher end, but at the same time, we, as I said, we, our new home schemes will be bringing a lot of those um, because they're entry level and somebody that might not have bought in London, but effectively, yeah, it, it's at the higher end. Okay, and for any because we know that there has been a slowdown on the at the higher end of the market here in Dublin, for sellers who are listening in and they're wondering is their property suitable? To join, is the showcase fully booked for this for next no, month? No, it's not fully booked at all, and we will be going again later on in the year. But but as I mentioned, br- when we bring the properties there, um, we do we have now seen some sales complete from the showcase last year, and it, it does take that long, especially at the kind of two or three million yeah, level. Of course. Um, but we what we're now developing is a growing list of buyers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have these guys, they're there, they're ready, and they will fly in. They've no problem flying in for a Friday afternoon. So look, okay, well, these are the three houses that we're going to have. Uh, and then from that, there's quite a lot of people that we're meeting for off-market sales. That's very interesting because, I mean, sorry, sorry no, it's very interesting because, I mean, um, you know, I'm not obviously in the property business, but, I mean, you hear of, of the property problems here in this country and indeed in London and indeed in New York. So well, what sense of people moving over here? Are they, are they apprehensive in relation to to the property market here and, and how expensive and how the city is at the moment? No, because I think the people are seeing prices that were paid a long time ago and at the top end we're still not we're still not at those prices so people might see room for growth but I think it's, it's a lifestyle decision that people are making. They're not they're seeing, ready. Yeah, they're not seeing it as an investment. They're not yeah, seeing it yeah, as, as yeah. parking. Well, someone might be seeing it as parking money yeah. but they're seeing this as they want Dublin or they want they, Ireland. They have planned for, what, for this. Yes, yeah, for what yeah. they're getting. Yeah, yeah. So it's the lifestyle. It's everything that goes with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So do you facilitate, say for people who attend your showcase in London next month, do you facilitate trips to Ireland then for house hunting? Yeah, so we'll have quite a few partners that we've, that we've again, this is, this is something that we're growing ourselves. So, so we've accumulated uh, some great people along the way. So mortgage brokers that specialise in cross-border lending uh, and, and also getting our brokers that'll be there on the night can get can get mortgage approved mortgage approval to last more than the usual six months so they can give people that bit because more time because that's such a problem at the moment I think more and more institutions are coming to the conclusion that yeah. they need to offer tw- uh, 12 months but that's difficult to yeah, get yeah they need to they need to and I think that that's coming into it but then there's alternative investors as well who, who will be there on the night and we'll have relocation people there as well that will be able to help with the process and then we have we, as, right down as far as a currency exchange company who'll help you move your money across when you're actually paying well 
that's going to become increasingly important it now, re- isn't it? Yeah, well, it absolutely is, yeah. And Robbie, you mentioned something there that caught my interest because it's something I was well familiar with a decade ago, but I haven't heard too much about it lately. Off-market sales. Yeah, so a lot of people a lot of people don't, don't want to be on the open market if they can avoid it at all. Um, depending on their motivation for that, I would always say the best price is the best, the best price you get is the one that the market is willing to pay. But in saying that there is for quiet sales, it, it can work. Um, we meet a lot of people over the London Property Show who say, if you meet somebody with XYZ and okay. they've got five million in their pocket, well, then we'd like them to see our house. We, we tend not to, not to make that our sole business, but likewise, we, we will always be bringing people through houses quietly. Well, it, no, it's just interesting to hear that because certainly, um, if, say from circa 2011 to 2014, yeah. um, anecdotally about a third of the transactions going through were off market and people were quite amazed by that. But there were so many reasons for it. And of course, back in the early days of NAMA for the, for the first year, there, there were off market yeah. trans, yeah. uh, transactions going through. But to. I, I think it's interesting because most people associate the off-market transactions with distressed sales. And that hasn't been my experience at oh, all. There's at so all. many reasons yeah. why people wouldn't want to go on the open market. Mainly the people that were meeting is privacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and quite a lot of these people would have been in that house for, for 40, 50 years. They haven't told their neighbours and they'd prefer to go to oh, their neighbour yeah. and say, look, you know what? We're going to head on. We've loved it here. We've loved mm-hmm. living next door. But actually the time has come for us to move on. And um, But they don't want... There's also just that fear, especially at the very top level, will we put a board outside and then will we, will we see how it goes? And again, they might see they might see other houses in the area get back to the original point of overpricing. They might have seen something around the corner with another agent that's been on for a year and say, God, I don't want that. Yeah. So then the, we're offering something different. We're offering, you know, the right buyers. And we spend we spend a lot of our time working with our buyers, getting to know who they are and what they can afford and what they're looking for. And then when the opportunity presents itself for an off market sale, that's when we'll come through and say, Okay, and we'll we'll do it, try and try and do it as easily as possible as well. Um but it's you know, we we're not gonna be doing it for the sake of doing it, if that makes sense. Of course, but yeah. look, for, from a buyer's perspective, there are massive advantages there in terms of not getting caught up in a, in a bidding war. Yeah, and That's people and one. people will pay a premium for it. We had a good mm-hmm. one last year where somebody said, look, I, I, I need to have this house. It's like, well, the photos are done, the brochure's done, and it's about to go online. So if you want to stop it going online, this is the price that they're hoping to hit on the open market. This, this is the advertised price. This is what they're hoping for. And this is what they'll walk away at. And then, and then we negotiate in the middle to stop it. That's, that's not uncommon. Um, and that's, you know, people want to have that security. Myself and my wife bought a new build because we had been outbid three or four times. And I said, no, no, I said, we have enough on our plate. Live with my mother. <laughs> so right. We have yeah. enough on our plate. Let's just get something well, sorted. At least, you, at least you'd be commuting to London. I, you know, I <laughs> yeah. think there's something wrong when our, when our seasoned professionals won't engage in the bidding, in the, the bidding fury that goes on. Um, look, before we finish up, Robbie, thank you so much. Before we finish up, can you just tell sellers who might be interested in this how they can contact you if they want to inquire about the London Property Showcase? Yeah, if you just go to savills.ie, everything will be there. Or you can email me myself, which is robbie.dillon at savills.ie and I'll be more than happy to help. Robbie Dillon, Head of professional, uh, head of Residential Sales, excuse me, from Savills. Thanks so much for coming on the no show. No worries. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Robbie. Perfect. Thank for you. Community Radio for South Dublin. This is Dublin South FM. Could you and your dog spend one hour per week bringing special moments to people in care centres? Or would you like one of our volunteer visiting teams to come and visit your care centre? At Irish Therapy Dogs, we have a dedicated interest in the use of pet therapy for people in long-term or daily residential care. A professional organisation aimed at providing a pet therapy service on a national basis. 
If you with your dog would like to get involved, or if you would like one of our visiting teams to visit your care centre, then please call us on 01544-6198 or visit irishtherapydogs.ie for more information. Do you need a professional-looking website or graphics for your company? Does your current website work on all modern devices, such as tablets and smartphones? If not, you are losing business. Preamp Digital Media provides a full range of solutions to give your company the edge in today's digital world. Please visit www.preampdigitalmedia.com for all the information you need. That's www.preampdigitalmedia.com. I've always provided. That's what I do. Even when the job shut down, I somehow managed. But the pressure chips away at your confidence. I felt alone. I needed to talk things out. I learned Samaritans isn't just for when you hit rock bottom. I'm glad I called. It's always worth getting problems big and not so big off your chest. Call Samaritans. No pressure, no judgment. We're here for you. Anytime, talk to us. Free call 116123 or go to samaritans.ie. Broadcasting to South Dublin on 93.9. This is Dublin South FM. And you're very welcome back to Property Matters here in Dublin South FM with Brian Fox and Carl Tallon. You can contact Twitter at iProperty. Uh, iProperty, that's that's just it. Or email hello at iProperty.com. Uh, our next guest now is Carol Muldowney, a business developer with Sharpuji Balonji. I've really mangled that one, haven't I? No, no, that's quite Very well, well now. Karen, <laughs> matters. How are you? Karen. Karen, thank you so much for joining us. First of all, please introduce the company. <laughs> so, uh, my name is Karen Muldowney and I work for a company called Shaporji Palangi. They're um, a large international company. Um, the group last year would have turned over 6.5 billion. Um, probably better known in places like India where they would be number one and in uh, the Middle East um, there would be a tier one contractor. So, we've came to Ireland there back in August, um, set up a European headquarters here. Um, it's really going very well at the moment. Uh, our owner himself would uh, have an allegiance to Ireland and has supported the Irish uh, Cricket uh, Academy for the last five years and had sponsorships with Trinity College um, and a lot of people would know him as number one on the rich list in Ireland. So we're coming here with you know, a, a good backing um, and really with the hope of scaling up quite quickly to be a tier one main contractor. Absolutely. And I think actually uh, the the entry into the Ireland's construction market this year was probably one of the biggest industry stories in 2018. Yeah. So can you tell us, um, without giving too much away, can you tell us what the short term strategy is for the business? Yeah, well, um, I suppose there is a lot of, uh, you know, uh, but there's a, a good group of tier one contractors here and it would be very hard to get onto tender lists. I mean, you know, we can be going around to architects asking them to put on tender lists and we can showcase our beautiful high rises that we do out in uh, Dubai and places like that. People want to see that you've got people on the on the ground. So we've started with a few uh, two um, relatively small but good projects in Dublin, one in Fox Rock and the other in uh, Dublin City Centre. And we're going to be scaling up that way and bringing in skilled people from Tier One contractors. As well as that, we'll complement that with the the skills set that we have over in Dubai. And um, there's a lot of people as as we would as the gentlemen were talking about earlier on wanting to come back home 
Um, so we have those skill set, but we need to complement it with the guys that have been here on the ground. The last five years, regulations have changed. Um, so we complement it that way. Yeah, and it's interesting when you talk about skill set on the ground, because actually, I'm sure even though, uh, obviously, the company is new into the Irish sector, but you yourself have been working in the construction sector for many years now. Yeah. So you're fully aware. How are you finding the, sh- the shortage of labour on the ground is that affecting your projects? Um, it's not at this moment in time there is a lot of uh, subcontractors that we've been talking to that really want to work with this um, you know and as as we see it as as we're uh, scaling up we can scale up with them um, which is exciting we'll work alongside them um, bringing um, professionals in yes I mean there is a shortage of professionals um, but it's an exciting opportunity for people just talk looking at myself professionally coming into a company like this was really exciting because I could see that there was the scalability was there and I was going to get to the place I wanted to be professionally and I think a lot of people of my age are you know within tier one contractors just can't get that move up so they're excited to come up uh, come across to us so we, we have you know uh, had a lot of uh, you know people excited to come across and you know in the next couple of weeks there will be some offers going out and a bit few more uh, feet on the boot on the ground than so your team your team is expanding yes um Karen did you did you happen to see in the news just in the last day or two there was research from the construction industry federation and they were calling for an end to snobbery on trades that actually they were they were saying that this perceived value that we put on on trades and on apprenticeships as in that apprenticeships are not are not simply for people who don't get the yeah. points to go to university you know that that's that's a huge cultural problem and a perception problem that's keeping people out of trades oh, is yeah. that something you you would witness uh, i witness it i don't believe it um, my father has been a plasterer for the last 50 years now and my father would have done a leave insert where nobody did a leave insert and could have gone on to be a doctor but he wanted to go into construction and i suppose that's, that's how Interesting. How our families all went into construction. It was, uh, I think it was, it's, it's in our DNA. Um, um, but no, I, I don't agree with it. I think that there's, uh, I think it's it's a profession. Mm-hmm. I think it's a, a lucrative business to be in. I think it's challenging. I mean, at the end of the day, if you're the person that's driving the van and going to work and, you know, you're the plasterer, you still have to do your applications for Ross online. You have to be computer literate. You're your financial controller, you're your your BD, you're your marketing manager. You you have to have, you know, an all-round skill set to to be in business. Um, You have to understand health and safety. So... Yeah. I, th- I think, you know, we, we need to be encouraging, you know, everybody and not, you know, you know, once they've got the leave insert. I mean, I, my neighbour at home, I'm from Ballyhornas, um, County Mayo, and uh, I think he got really high points in his leave insert. All he wanted to do was be an apprentice carpenter. OK. And um, but, I mean, was there opposition from his family? No, no. no. His, both his parents are school teachers and they, they see that that was his, you know, his dream That's to do dream, that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I knew that he would be very good at doing it and it has entrepreneurship skills which every subcontractor has to have a little bit of an entrepreneur I mean I, I go to work and I'm, I'm quite happy to pull home my monthly salary I'm not going out putting risk you know putting my house on the line to to do business so I think yeah I think the skill sets that are required I also think that we sometimes disregard 50% of the population um, and I think that's what you know there was an article there uh, about encouraging women into um, apprenticeships I mean again the, the industry has changed with so many innovations on board so much 
health and safety. It doesn't matter if, you know, uh, it's not the thing of lugging stuff anymore. There's um, lifting requirements now and you can't, you know, yeah. everybody yeah. can and work tell in us, the industry. What's the sort of proportion now of, of self-employed to, um, to construction workers being hired as, uh, you know, and, and as you say, reason, getting the weekly or the, the monthly paycheck? What, what sort of proportion would there be at this point in time, would you think? Well, I think most, most companies take on... Um, you know, uh, subcontractors to yeah. do the yeah. the manual labour work, and then obviously have a management structure in place that's in house. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And actually, I think Karen, you've raised a really interesting point there that's worth repeating. Um, this is an industry that has been sadly lacking in diversity, and I do think that there's. Uh, numerous bodies that are actually actively working to target that. So um, I, I see that actually our state training body is trying to trying to promote apprenticeships, but particularly promote apprenticeships for female candidates. And there's an initiative through Construction Industry Federation called yes, um, Building Equality. Building yes. Equality. I was sitting on that committee with uh, my previous company and we're just going through the process of... Uh, it's so important, isn't it? And actually, there's one thing that I noticed in construction that's quite unique. There, there isn't the same crossover from different industries. So, for example, even in the so-called soft skills, you know, whether it's um, HR or marketing or business development or pre-qual and tendering, that actually there doesn't seem to be the crossover that if somebody's in one industry, they could move into construction. There's a perception that you almost have to grow up in construction. Yeah. And th- and I think that's actually been, been a problem for people entering at not just entry level, yeah. but at C-suite level. And in fact, I think if that changed, then what you'd see is a much greater level of diversity right across the board, whether it's um, gender, nationality, whatever it is, you're bringing different experiences in. And I think that that's one of the things that we don't need to just look at at building equality at entry level. It needs to be across the C-suite if it's really going to be impactful. Oh, yeah. Do you think is there much discrimination, uh, bullying uh, in the workplace in relation to female no, I've, I, I, really I'm, I'm, I think I'm quite lucky that I've never experienced um, any any sort of comments or anything like that. Um, or no glass ceiling, as such. You know? uh, I think there is certain organisations <clears throat> that do have glass ceilings. Yes, um, um, but then I suppose I don't align myself with those companies. Yeah. Um, any company I've ever worked in, I think that it's been fair. You know, a fair wage for you know, and nobody's looked at gender. Mm. Yeah, yeah. There are some really strong female leaders actually across the engineering and particularly in in M and E contracting. So I. I wonder, you know, sometimes I think the glass ceiling in the construction industry is not about gender. It's actually because these are family run businesses. Yeah. So you'll get to director level and maybe stop around there. So I think the the glass ceiling for the construction industry is perhaps not just for women. It's actually for non-family members because these are traditionally family run businesses and and multi-generational family run businesses. So it's a different type of it's a yeah. different type of glass And ceiling. I think as well the women that have gone into it have a certain, you know, personality. They've gone through college. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, I remember the first day I went into college and, and you know, it had been blatantly obvious that mm. there was only two other girls in my class. But it, it that just went then and you just actually didn't realise and it's see just it. just different perceptions, isn't it, yeah, really? You know, I mean, you know, my perception of the... Uh, you know, your perception of the way the workplace is changing now, you know, yeah. because I mean, there was a stereotypical image of yeah. certain workplaces, yeah. you know, and uh, I'm sure the stereotypical image was there at the time, but attitudes have to change, don't they? Yeah. Well, do you know, I, I want to say that it's changed, but I do recall when my daughter came to me during her first year in UCD, 
and said it wasn't for her straight away I said well have you looked at the trades would you like plumbing would you like you know do you like uh, maybe to consider electrician you know bricklaying And she looked at me as if I was crazy, mm. as in it had not even crossed her mind. And that did strike me. Why would that not have crossed her mind? Yeah. You know, why was it that this wasn't even on, on, the, on the radar? On the radar? Mm. Yeah. So, you know, even though she would have learned about that in our household, it still wasn't even vaguely on the radar. Well, I so, know when I was growing up, uh, I think I said, um, if I was a boy, I'd do an apprenticeship. And You nobody, actually said that? Oh, yeah, no, 100%. And did anybody correct you? Nobody corrected me. And I think... <laughs> It was just very naturally rolled off the tongue and that's why I went into construction management because that was, you know, okay. And in fairness, my parents never put up any issues. But my mother would have encouraged me. I mean, she, you know, she's... um, had no issue with me going to do construction management never made any comment and even herself said if I was a, if I was a man I would love to have been a carpenter <laughs> So obviously you had to have some sort of engineering background as well going into that type of work Yeah Well I think I, I just grew up on building sites Did you really? <laughs> yeah, yeah I would have gone to work your father Again was... Yes and I think it's you know it's such a shame really I suppose with health and safety now we can't bring children on to building sites you know on a Saturday I'd go to work with my dad do do work with him and then Is that right? get tr- I think get the get I, brought out for breakfast and that was the treat and a chocolate bar was my wages <laughs> and I was happy out. <laughs> I hope you're better paid today Karen. <laughs> and so look, tell me just really across the industry, you did you notice actually or did, did you see in the news over the weekend the construction activity levels are out for December yeah. and they've fallen. Yeah. Does that tally with what you're seeing on the ground? Um, yeah, I suppose there's the, there's the issues there with the changes in the height restrictions and mm. I think people were holding off on that. But also, again, I think people have been, you know, it's there's, people are struggling to start projects. And again, I think this is back, to, back down to the, the, the shortage that we have in professionals and labour on sites. Okay, and I know one of the areas that you're quite interested in is uh, methods of modern construction. Yeah. Can you explain exactly what that is? Well, I think we're really embracing um, new innovations within the industry. I suppose that's to uh, take account for the fact that we're struggling with labour, so we have to look at different alternatives. I mean, we're the, one of the oldest industries in you know ever. <laughs> how, how, do you do, how do you cope with that? I mean, could you just flesh that one out a little bit? How how do you adapt with with, with new construction methods? Um, well, I suppose an example we uh, Shapur would have done in Bangalore in India they would have done um, a 600,000 square meter uh, uh, um, uh, sorry R&D for uh, Intel and that was a top down construction and that was the first in the world since the the 70s of a top-down construction. Um, modular housing, DCC are embracing that form of construction. Mm-hmm. Um, Is that something that's on your radar for Ireland? 100%, yeah. No. So Dublin City Council have really have taken a hold of this modular construction as being quick, mm-hmm. you know, it being, um, having, you know, the buildings and having lifespans. Well. Yeah, and it's all done, certified within a factory floor. Um, so it, it's going to be quicker mm-hmm. and we won't require so much on-site labour. Just the other thing I want for Karen is you're saying there's a shortage of labour. Where is it going? I think as the output's increasing, uh, construction outputs are increasing, we need to be encouraging the guys that have left in oh, the, to, you come know, back. to come back. Oh, so we it, know, the, the fact we, is construction is increasing yeah. and, and, the, and the workforce isn't there. And the workforce isn't there. I think what is there's 100,000 people uh, needed in Ireland oh, okay. to complement yeah. the, the outputs that we're just, having. Just scarcity at the moment. Um, and then obviously during the recession, we there was nobody doing apprenticeships. Oh. And actually I think a that's number of years. The, I, I think you've really hit the nail on the head there, Karen. It is a lost generation 
exploitation mm. um, of workers. Over in the UK, a chap called Mark Farmer did a review yeah. of the labour industry over there. And I don't think Ireland's industry would be that that different. Yeah. Um, and what he was suggesting essentially is that we lost a whole generation of people not going into the sector, but then you have people retiring out of yeah. it. So, and this is why it's very important that we do embrace methods of modern construction because we need to make the industry more well, attractive. Well, just on that point, that's entrance. just the very point I want to put you, Karen, as you're in construction. I mean, um, is it very? T- you obviously have to do a lot of um, up- upgrading yourself, upskilling yourself with, yeah. with new methods of construction, yeah. new technology, and so forth. Yeah. That's an ongoing. That's an ongoing situation, I suppose, isn't it? Uh, it is, but I think the great thing is, is as we said, with the last generation, so we've a certain, you know, generation of kind of middle management that's left, and we've got the young people that have come fresh out of college mm. who embrace technology. We have an older generation of people who are fearful of technology, but yet they carry years of experience and I think we can complement that so you know that reverse mentoring of you know buddying up with the senior person and the younger person and they can both learn from each other um, and it can remove that fear that senior management have from um, technology. And just the other question I want to put to you too is because it's so much in the news at the moment with the uh, children's hospital is there much is there much pressure on you and much much pressure on you to get a job done uh, under budget and, and on time in relation to uh, project construction projects? Um, I think there is a lot of companies are feeling that. Feeling um, I think for us, though, as we're entering the Irish market, it's important for us that we do deliver on time and that we build our brand up um, and whatever investment we have to make in order to get projects done you know, that would be okay for a short term period, but it certainly wouldn't be a strategy going forward. At the end of the day, we all go to work and we're all entitled, you know, to come away from the party with despite a little, the fact that a little bit of a party there, bag. Yeah, despite the fact there are penalties there, if you if you don't come in on time, is that is that a is that a problem for you or or, or how would you see it? Um well, I suppose, as I said, for us, it would be about building a brand and it would be delivering quality. So we would have to do everything in order to to perform and meet the deadlines and nobody wants to be hit by LADs. Yeah. But Karen, you're probably one of the most experienced um, tender professionals actually in the industry. You've been doing it for a long time. We still have this problem with fixed price tendering and it doesn't seem to be going away despite calls from the Construction Industry Federation and other professional lobby groups. Why is that still the case? How are contractors still going in for these fixed price tendering? Well, I think what they're doing is they're factoring, they're factoring in um, the LADs into their price. So it's increasing prices and um, people are struggling because obviously there's inflation there within the industry and they're factoring that in. I mean, it's very it's very daunting when you know you have to execute a project over two years um, and what and, and how the prices are going up. You have to factor that price in. How would you even do that if there's any element of cross-border yeah. um, collaboration, even in terms of supplies? Yeah. Yeah. And, and actually, we haven't even we haven't even come to one of the biggest challenges that the industry is facing in terms of the home building at the moment, yeah. which is the help to buy scheme is due to is due to complete mm. at the end of this year. And even though there's rumours and there's speculation that it's likely to to be extended, that hasn't been confirmed yet. So that's still causing a hold in the market. Yeah. Is that something that you're seeing? Is that halting activity? No, not for that. But things like uh, tendering and, as you said, cross-border and, you know, uh, ensuring that you've gotten the right FX rate, ensuring that the products are going to be compatible 
you know, as Brexit Brexit is looming. Mm. I'm certainly not an expert in Brexit, but it's definitely going to impact on the I industry. I don't think anybody is right now <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> and it's certainly going to impact on the industry. Okay, Karen, thank you so much. Listen, it's it's been great to have you here, and I thank think you. for the construction industry, there are so many issues that we could discuss, um, and. As promised, we didn't bring up the National Children's Hospital, but I think that's definitely one that we do need some outside perspective on for another day. But look, these are certainly interesting times for the construction industry, so I hope you'll join us again soon. Thank you so much. And that's it from us today. Thank you for joining us on Property Matters, the show where property actually matters. 